Becky Farmer is the Content Team Manager at Studio Hawk SEO Agency. His agency was named as the best global SEO agency this year and counts blue chip companies like Officeworks, Amart, Petstock and New Balance as their clients. He manages a team of 15 freelance SEO copywriters and he also writes copy himself, web copy, blogs and other SEO content every day that gets his clients on page one of Google. In this episode, I talked to Matthew about how he got started as a copywriter and why imposter syndrome and his inability to value his own work really set him back and what he would do differently today. We talk about why those early years working in a call centre actually served him very well later on in his copywriting life, what he looks for in hiring an SEO copywriter, and he hires a lot of them, and some quick and easy tips for writing great SEO copy that anyone can apply instantly. I feel very proud of what Matthew's achieved in some respects because he kick-started his career back in 2005 when he completed my short course in copywriting. As I always say, a short course can have a big impact. It took him a few years to find his feet, as you'll discover in the podcast, but what I think Matthew demonstrates so vividly and beautifully and elegantly is that if you just keep going, taking a little job here, a little job there, putting one foot in front of the other, you can achieve your goals because he is now, in his own words, sitting in his perfect job. Now, it feels weird, I'll be honest, to be reading out a testimonial that's so personal, but this is what Matt said about his experience of completing my course and how it's helped him 15 years later. Without Bernadette, I wouldn't know what copywriting was, how to use it, how to value myself as a writer, and so many other things. Her philosophy helped me through my years as a freelancer. It was the foundation that got me where I am today. I wouldn't have found copywriting without her. Well, thank you, Matt. That's incredibly touching, and I feel so proud of what you've achieved. So if you're interested in learning what Matt learned, check out our copywriting courses, and you too could be on your way to sitting in your perfect job. Or join our community at copyclub.com.au. Now, we know that the fastest way to find success is to have a team of people around you who hold you accountable. That's what Copy Club can be for you. It will give you the momentum you need to keep going whilst you're building your new copywriting career. And if you like this podcast, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Matthew Farmer, I'm so pleased to have you on my podcast. You are the content team manager at Studio Hawk, which, by the way, I believe won the SEO agency of the year, but not just any SEO agency, but the large SEO agency of the year globally. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, in the Global Search Awards, we won... Uh, SEO Large Agency of the Year uh, back in, what month have we in now? August, so back in uh, July, yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, that's nothing, nothing to be sneezed at. No. And we, we go back a long way, right? Yes. We met, met you in 2005, 2006. Yeah. So here we are. In North Melbourne. Correct. Now, you did my copywriting course back in the day when yes. we were live in person and yes. uh, I remember you very clearly and just talk to me about what led you to do that kind of course. Uh, so that year um, where I was employed, we were made redundant. Uh, we found out in April or March or April that year that um, we were going to be made redundant by November. Um, and so we had to start looking and planning uh, ahead 
for what we were going to do. And I've been a, a writer for some time, writing creatively. Uh, I did a professional writing and communication degree at the University of South Australia. So being a writer is what I wanted to be. Uh, writing novels and things doesn't pay well unless you are one of the few that make it big, you know, JK Rowling and that. Um, so I looked at what other type of writing would pay and copywriting is uh, seemed to be a great way to write stuff that pays. Um, doesn't sound very romantic, but when you want to get paid as a writer, you look for writing that pays. So Googled who could help me become a writer and your Australian School of Copywriting popped up. So I went and did your course to find out ways to be paid to be a writer. And what did you learn or what has enabled you to become a paid writer? You know, what, what was it that you did after the course that, um, you know. Oh, funny enough. So after the course, I didn't become a copywriter. Um, it was one of those things of lack of confidence. You know, I have these skills, but who am I? I don't have a history. I don't know how to get work. Um, so I went back uh, to another job in a call center soon after. So I, I, I went looking for work, but my networking skills are kind of crap. So I ended up back in a call center for about three years and started to hate that job. And a lot of people kept telling me, well, you've done copywriting school. Um, you are a writer. Why don't you become a freelancer? So I think in those three years, I also did uh, uh, the year with you. Um, uh, what was that? The dream team copywriting the dream team. coaching. I think I did the dream team with you while I was still employed. Um, to try and get myself motivated to be a copywriter again. So after three, three different years as a call, at the call centre, I quit that job and, and announced to the world that I'm going to be a freelance copywriter, which scary as hell to do. Um, on the advice of you and your website, I joined a networking group. Um, a local business networking group and started getting a few little jobs here and there. Um, really naive about what to charge, what, you know, how much am I worth, um, doing little bits of jobs here and there. Uh, and to be honest, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have a supportive partner at home. So for about 18 months, um, 18 months, about 18 months, I couldn't pay rent. And so I had savings and stuff. And so I helped out here and there, but I couldn't pay full rent. And after about 18 months, I had enough freelance work that I could pay my way and I've been doing it ever since. So it took a long time to break even, if that, um, mm. if that makes sense. Um, mm. And so I did that. I enjoyed, I did enjoy the lifestyle of a freelancer, but I didn't enjoy the hustle um, and the always going for work. Um, that does get tiring. Um, and the, the, the feast and famine, that comes with it but no persisted kept at it um got some work teaching copywriting at rmit um and then after that after rmit started drying up after freelancing started drying up i went for some uh, client side work with the reject shop and then i had a 12-month contract there and then funny enough, the people I was working with, so Studio Hawk as an SEO company, uh, the reject shop uh, hired them to do some work. And then over the summer break while I was unemployed, 
Studio Hawk advertised the role for content manager. Um, they wanted a content writer and a content manager. And so I applied and they already had examples of my work, which I'd done with the reject shop, uh, being able to be a freelancer for, for seven years counted as experience. And so they hired me. So even being a freelancer counted as experience, which was really good, even though the freelancing years were sometimes a struggle, it still counted. So now um, I'm pretty much writing a blog every day for clients around the world. Um, I manage a team of freelancers, um, including one, you know, with mm -hmm. Monster. Um, so it's now I'm able to send the elevator back down, as they say. So I'm now able to help other freelancers get consistent work and get their portfolios together to push them onto bigger and bigger, better things, which I absolutely love. I love being able to help others like that. You have, I think, demonstrated amazing persistence. And I, I'm I, stubborn. I am very stubborn. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I, and I think you've been very honest with yourself. You know, you've known that writing is you. You've said it in your website. It is what I do. It's who I am. Yeah. And, and of course, your novels, which we'll talk about in a moment as well. But I guess looking back now, and, and speaking to people who might be listening who are in your shoes, you know, where you were maybe 10, 15 years ago, what would you tell them? One of the things I've noticed about the role that I've set up, now what the advantage of being a freelancer is um, how much you're worth and how much you think you're worth. Um, so when I set up the role, um, I've gone out. So because we are an agency, I can get to, I get to set prices. And so I know what is a good price. I know when I was doing some agency work from a freelancer point of view that I'd be desperate. So I would take anything for any money and I know I was getting ripped off. So one of the things I, I recommend is I know it's hard to say no, but if someone's asking you to write 2000 words for $50, say no, because they are only taking advantage of you and you will bust your guts to try and do a good job. And at the end you'll have $50, which might buy you food for a few days. Um, so knowing your worth and not being afraid to know your worth, like, looking people in the eye and say, I'll do this for $200 and being able to you know, hold eye contact when you do it is a powerful thing. And I know a lot of us still have the imposter syndrome. Um, I still have it now, even though I'm, I'm employed, I still have the imposter syndrome. So you don't believe that you're worth that. Um, and, in, and it sucks because the written word is, is still important now. It's going to be important forever. It doesn't matter how much uh, technology goes forward, doesn't matter how many of these new AI bots that are gonna come in to replace writers, human beings can write better than AI. And so it's gonna be important going forward to know what you're worth. So there's a lot of times I'd be sitting there going, I have no job. Hey, I'll do this one for free just to get my foot in the door and get some exposure. And the only people who win out of that are the people who are getting your writing and you don't win out of that. So knowing what you're worth is, and being confident about what you're worth is, I think, a big thing. It's a really good point there, Matt. It's all about the confidence. And, mm. and I say this to my students too, that you do the work and you put the time in and you present it. And yeah. it's exactly the same work, but one, you believe in enough to charge for it. The other one, you still believe in it, but not enough to charge for it. You mm. know, so the, the work is the same that yes. you're presenting. It's just the belief behind it. But yes. maybe I'm going to ask the difficult questions, but how can someone know their, what their worth is? Like what 
what would you say they how do they value themselves how do they, how put- do they value themselves well i it it does change the more experience you get the more you do change your value i mean i did a, i did some landing pages for a friend of mine who's a bookkeeper um and i charged her a cheesecake i felt i was worth the cheesecake so you know knowing what you're worth to different people is a good thing but um it's a good idea to start with an hourly rate. I, I don't charge an hourly rate as a freelancer. I charge per item. So if it takes me three days to write something or one day to write something, that's on me. But you do some test writing. So if it takes you an hour to write a thousand words, then add another hour on that for editing and revision um, and research. So a two hour job, what basic pay for um, was it, I will say basic pay for a non-skilled laborer is I think 17. Um, basic pay for skilled. So um, for a copywriter, I think push yourself up to 25, $30 an hour to start with and you base yourself on that. So if it's going to take you two hours to write a thousand words when you're first starting, charge 50 to 75 based on your hourly rate. And then every six months, review yourself. Um, review yourself in two ways. Firstly, on your body of work, how is your portfolio looking? And then secondly, how do you feel about yourself? So you might have a body of work, maybe 50 blogs, but you still sit there and go, yeah, I'm not that great yet. And have an honest conversation. Put the ego aside and go, am I good enough? Yes, no. What have I learned? Can I put my hourly rate up? And eventually you'll start going after a year, after two years, you can be charging 100 bucks or plus for a blog. But starting out, you need to build your portfolio and you don't want to scare clients away. So um, I start at an hourly rate, maybe add some percentage for some profit and for living expenses. Uh, but yeah, don't be afraid to charge more than 50 or $75 for an item. And don't be afraid that it's don't sit there and think it's not enough and don't sit there and think it's too much. So it's a, I know it's a difficult question to ask and a tricky one to answer. Um, and there's also um, some resources online. I've always Googled, you know, what's the gen- what's the average hourly rate for copywriters? And either if you, if you are confident, hit the hourly rate. If you're a little bit not confident, go a little bit below the hourly rate. And then when you are proposing to a potential client, you can say, look, I've based this rate on these figures here and you give them the link. So they don't think you're just making up um, an amount you can go this is what the industry says i'm charging you the industry rate so if you're not confident to set your own then google what the industry says and sometimes knowing what industry rates are that gives you a little bit of um uh, confidence to like evidence so if, if the client comes back and says oh i think you're a little bit expensive you can go well there's the average i'm actually charging you quite well based on the industry so I think also, Matt, what you're talking about there is... It's a tricky one because you've got to be confident enough to say, I'm worth this much money. Yeah. And that's always tricky. Matt, I I talk to my students about this and I say a cleaner charges up to $50 an hour. And um, they work really blooming hard, you know, for their work. And that's not to diminish or anything like uh, what they do. But the the fact is, as you said, it's an unskilled labour role. And, and yet there's $50 and, and minimum $100 probably for the job. So yeah. the other thing I really want to emphasize too for people listening, and you've probably felt this too, is you've had a backlog of experiences. 
you know, it's not just what you present on the day, it's the mm. 20 years or the 15 or the five or the seven years mm. of what you've done previously that you're bringing to this client. Mm. So, um, I mean, I, I do say to my students, exactly what you said is you cost your, your, your own time. What do you value yourself to be? 50, 60, $70 an hour. And then you work out how many hours it'll take you to do something and then add those extra hours on for the briefing and the, the revisions. But it's not, and then you just give that one job lot, you know, you don't mention yeah. the hourly rates because then people go, oh, well, you know, I'll cut it you down there. You, it should only take you three hours. Yeah, exactly. Well. I could do this in two. My daughter could do this even faster. Oh, my God, yes. You know, my daughter kind of story. Um, so I, I love where you're going with that. And I think the other thing to think about is uh, I don't even mention sort of industry rates because I honestly believe it's what you have with that client in that moment. Oh, yes. uh, in terms of your background, what you brought to the conversation. And that's why I say to the people I coach is try and get on the phone if you can. And I know that yeah. strikes fear into the hearts of most oh, yes, it and does. <laughs> I mean, they're kind of, you know, running for cover. But I, I do believe if you can, if someone emails you, you know, jump on that call quickly because you can do a whole bunch of emailing, takes a week to, to complete it, and they still don't know you any better. Whereas yes. if you pick up the phone and it's hot to trot because they've actually just done it right there and then, and then you say, have you got 10 minutes? We can talk right now. And, and just... tone of voice as well. Um, you, mm -hmm. There's a lack of tone of voice in some emails and the, it's quite easy to get misunderstanding. Oh, isn't that the case? You know, oh, yeah. the nuance just disappears completely with email. Uh, so, um, so talk to me a little bit about how you got your job i mean you talked about redex shop but what you actually do in the job talk you manage the freelancers you do strategy yeah. i'd love to know more about what you do in a day a day in the life of matthew farmer yeah um I'll, I'll, before i get to the day in the life of me um the reason they have the role so studio hawk is a purely seo company um they don't do everything in social media digital marketing they don't do everything because they've niched into so into seo um and they're very very good at it i mean obviously we've just won an award um so we know what we're doing part of seo is content a very strong part of seo i mean there, there are three pillars of seo um i'm very biased towards content of course um and they were noticing that when they were giving their clients seo strategies like uh blog briefs and content and service page and product page briefs, the, the clients would, would take them on, but not everybody had the capacity to write. So they know that it's a good thing to do. So they thought we'll offer the service for our clients. They just needed, first they wanted the content writer, but then they just thought they discovered that it's going to grow. So they wanted the content writer with, with experience who could do more than just content writing. Um, and so my, I think my background with customer service and leading teams in the call center and stuff gave me a little bit of an advantage um, and my age and life experience as well. So they got me on originally to be a content writer, but they also wanted me to build up the process, the content writing process that we have with our clients, um, build up a team of freelancers because across the board, different account managers would use different copywriters here and there. They wanted it all under the one umbrella and managed through the one person. Um, and then going forward, we're going to be building an internal team of copywriters. Um, and we've just, we've just advertised for a two day a week uh, copywriting junior to work with me um, in the office when we get back in um, because my workload's got so much that I have to, I need some more help now, which is an awesome thing. So, I have a team of about 15 freelancers. Um, 
and including, like I said, including your friend Monique, um, I got her on board. So I pretty much went to, to people I knew. Um, I went to some ex-students of mine because I taught copywriting at RMIT and Swinburne. Um, so I got people I knew who could write and said, would you like to be part of my freelance team? The, base, the, the thing would be, I would send you a brief. You'd have two weeks to write a thousand words uh, or 1500 words, depending on the brief. And you get it back to me and we pay you um, at the end of the month. And a lot of people said yes, which is really, really good. Um, and so my day now um, pretty much involves in the morning I'm doing admin, um, getting emails back from my freelancers or allocating them uh, briefs to do in a week, uh, following up with the account managers, tidying up, stuff like that. And then by lunchtime, I get onto my content schedule to see what I need to write. Um, and it's like, as I said, it's pretty much a blog a day, which I'm doing. I've got that much work to do, which it's good and bad in the fact that I've got so much work to do. Um, so yesterday I wrote a 1500 word blog about um, content distribution networks. Today I am uh, paraphrasing my the owner, Harry, thesis into an article for an online magazine um, tomorrow i'll be writing a blog for this company in sydney all about marketing and sales and stuff so i do that every day um write every day which it's good you get the more you write the better you get it so you know i can power through 1500 words in about two hours and it's done but so that's my day so i've got team management plus the content writing side of things because there's certain clients which they specifically request the writing gets done in house and I've met them and given them my stuff and they and they so they don't want their stuff put out to freelancers because they they are paying big money they want the manager to do it so I I get the joy of doing that it sounds a little bit um not sarcastic but it sounds like I'm going oh my god I have to do it but through the the process I've now learned a lot more about SEO and SEO writing. So I'm now educating my freelancers as well. I've started sending some weekly emails to them going, here's a cool idea, do this, here's a cool idea, do that. So example, this morning I sent um, some, some location pages. Um, in SEO terms, location pages are great for local SEO. So you ground your business in a geographic lo location. So we sent some Perth location and some Sydney location pages to um, a freelancer. And, one of the tips I was using is like use some local slang. So when I wrote some Melbourne location pages for a client, I talked about the cafe culture and, you know, being north and south of the Yarra. When I was doing some stuff for Sydney, it was like, you know, using the great coat, the, the great coat hanger kind of thing and things like that, which are very local and which are very niche, which I didn't know about before I joined this agency. So I have a little bit of admin. I have a lot of writing and I have a little bit of education. Um, this afternoon, we're doing some strategy work um, for some clients up in regional Victoria. So there's a lot of that. It's more than just writing. So I've gone from being a copywriter to being uh, a copywriter and a manager and a strategist. So it's very, very career. And that's what I like. So being more than just a writer, I, I get to do more than just writing, but very busy. Mm. very very busy it sounds it man it sounds fantastic and I'm, I'm, it's fun it is it, it's a good meaty role i do do like it yes yeah yeah I, i'm really proud of what you've achieved over these years and you've as i said you're stuck at it which i'm really really impressed by but i want to pick a couple of things because i know people listening are probably thinking oh 
about that bit. I really want the answer to that. So oh, you talked yeah. about the, the three pillars of, of SEO. What what are your interpretations of that? You said content's one. So there's there's content, there's on-site and off-site. So content SEO is keywords, it's the heading structure, it is the the meta description, so the little description you get when you do a Google search. Um, it's regularly updating content, so Google knows that you're a live site. It is basing that content, so it answers the questions that people are putting into search engines. So it's, there's a term called search intent. So what is it that you're looking for? And if you can answer those questions better than anyone else, then you will tend to rise up the Google ranks. Uh, On-site SEO includes um, the structure of your website. Uh, and this is in regards to how Google crawl bots come and check your website out. So having a content hub. So you have uh, one page, which is, uh, uh, we're talking about content. So we'll talk about copywriting. So in, in regards to your our, our field of copywriting, if you have a, a big article that says, this is everything you need to know about copywriting. That's your hub. And if you start, taking elements of that and writing a thousand words here, a thousand words there that come off that hub, but then link back through internal links. Um, then Google will come along and say, you've got this massive thing about copywriting and then you've got five or six links to other copywriting stuff. You must be an expert. So the structure of your website, making it easy to, to um, for Google to uh, crawl your website to find out what it is you are talking about and if you're an expert. Offsite SEO is a lot about backlinks. So you want to get your content, your face onto other reputable websites and then they link back to you. And so what this does is if they have um, some authority, um, if they have uh, authority and expertise in your subject, if they link back to you, then they share that authority with you. It, it's like getting a referral on a resume. If the referral is uh, if it's your best friend from high school, not much authority. If it's an ex-manager of yours that absolutely loves you and will give you a glowing uh, uh, re referee reference, then yes, that holds authority. Now, there's a lot more nuance to that. Um, and I've seen the guys in the office do stuff like this, uh, do backlinks, do audits um, and, and internal links, all this other stuff. And it's a, it's a foreign language to me. And I... I've tried my hand, but I'm not as good as, it, as they are. But then on the flip side, they're not as good at the content as I am. So I've got this pillar and they've got those two pillars. And why I understand a little bit about it, I don't fully get it. So I mm. kind of half know it or three quarters of know it. Um, I'm sure there's stuff that I missed out on, but that's, that's their job. And really I don't want to try and learn what they do because I'm having more, much more fun learning what I do. Well, I love the niching. You know, you say you know what you're good at and that's what your job is. So yes. I'm just curious, when when you hear um, uh, these people speak, you know, these link link people, what, what phrases, because uh, what I want to give the listeners is if they want to go off oh. and explore this deeply, what, what kind of keywords or phrases or jargon should they be researching themselves? Uh, backlinks is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, that's, a, that's a funny element of SEO because it's not something you... you it's not something that is or uh, grows quickly, but once it does, it's very, very powerful. So backlinks is something you want to look look forward to, uh, look into. Um, keyword research and how you do that. And like we use programs like Ahrefs and SEMrush in particular. SEMrush is a 
a great tool at um, doing keyword research. Um, what else do they do? Um, Google Analytics um, search engine result page. So is it, there's a, um, a term called SERP, S-E-R-P, which is a search engine results page. That helps uh, click to pay. Um, so Google Ads, organic search results. Organic search is big for us. We're very good at getting organic results. That's where, so if you have paid ads and pay per click, you're paying for people to go to your website. If it's organic, it means that the content and the SEO on your website is strong enough that people are finding you without having to pay for it. So organic search is big, backlinks are big, um, content is big, uh, HTML tags are big, uh, things like that. Mm, brilliant. And Matt, you also mentioned that you work with a client this afternoon in strategy. I'm just wondering, can you talk us through if someone was listening and they were thinking, I want to do some strategy with my client, I've got nowhere to begin. What kind of structures or questions do you ask your clients in order to understand what they're doing so uh, that you can provide strategy? The first and best question you can ask someone is why. Um, I learned this through you. I learned this through doing marketing and stuff. It's like, why, do, why are you in business? Are you in, in business to get more followers? So social media, are you in business to get more money? Are you in business to grow a business and sell it? So the motivation for what they want to do can drive your SEO campaign. Um, often you'll ask um, a client who their target audience is and they'll say, oh, my target audience is ABC. When you start doing research and finding out what, what people are searching for, so you're doing keyword research, um, and long tail keyword research, you'll find that their clients are actually looking for something else. So what a business thinks that they're trying to sell isn't always what they're trying to sell. So asking them who they think their clients are and who their real clients are can focus them better and change the language that they use and get some keywords. Um, making them understand that it's a long game rather than a short game. Um, going back to my freelance years, I struggled with a lot of clients who wanted instant results and trying to explain to them that you're not going to get results for about three months and then you'll start being, seeing things tick up. Um, small business in particular, if they're going to pay you uh, $2,000, they want a return on investment quite quickly. So getting your clients to understand that, yes, SEO works, but it's not going to work overnight is a big thing. And that's something that they need to invest in over time before they'll start seeing some positive results. So and sometimes doing SEO with us is not, we don't say yes to every client. We do a bit of a research on them. We do, a, we do an audit. We do, we do free orders for people and go, look, you've got some toxic backlinks. There's another term for you. Toxic backlink is when a website which is, doesn't have a good re reputation is linking back to you. Gambling websites in particular are toxic and they can drag your, your own website reputation down. So we do audits on people to say, maybe you need to fix up all this stuff or maybe your business or what you do won't, we don't really mesh. So we don't say yes to everybody. So we, we have a look at a customer, see what they like, see what they want, um, what their expectations are and, and can we deliver? So we don't want to say yes to someone and then not deliver it. Um, that's, a, that's a big thing. Um, there's, um, 
our one of our values is transparency and so we don't have locking contracts uh, a big thing that harry is about is no locking contracts so i know people who have signed up for seo companies and they say you got a 12 month contract and you pay all this money and you don't hear from them it's like very much against that so we make sure that if we sign you up we'll tell you exactly what's going to happen if we can't help you we'll say so so you don't waste money so you're feeling them out for why they're in business what they want to achieve can we achieve it for them and if not why not and are there other options so we've had a couple of people come through going can you do our our social media for us and we'll say no but here's someone who can so we're not going to say yes and then take your money and whatever it was like no no we, we're genuine about what we do how we do it so um that's what we do when we talk to clients you know why why are you doing this what do you want from it understand it's not going to happen overnight but it will happen um and then we find out if we're a good fit for each other because they might not want to be a good fit for us um mm. so we're not and, we're not always good for everybody apparently. yeah i love the fact you turn people away and you 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 know you've yeah. got some discretion as to how you can help people and, and be honest with the fact that you may not so what what's what would be the first thing you do you know so for students listening to this or anyone listening to this is going okay i want to get my seo kicked off for a client what's the first thing they should do so there's some free tools out there um semrush like i said semrush is a tool that we use yes they have some free options um, of course, if you pay the money, you'll get more access. But SEMrush is a very powerful tool. Um, so if you get a client um, who, are, who is online, get their URL and stick it in the SEMrush. You can find out what keywords that people are using to find them and where they rank on those keywords. Um, you can find out what links are heading to that website and if they're good, if they're bad. Um, there's also some uh, articles and some uh, tutorials about how you can remove them. So SEMrush will show you this is how you can remove it. Um, uh, you go, and then you can look at the website structure. Like, is it is it um, set up for the Google bots to read it, or is it just a complete mess? So you're having a look at the you know the menu structure, what's below each menu, and things like that. So you can go back to the customer and say, look, people are searching for you under these keywords. Um, you can also do some keep some competitor research. So if you know who the client's competitor is, you can put their details in and find out what keywords that the competitors are going for. You can see what keywords that you're competing for. So if you wanted to, you can say, look, this keyword, your competitor is, is like 10 spots above you. Let's stop wasting time on this keyword, but let's go for these ones down here where you're more competitive and we can win you on that. Then you can, if they want to do some more different keywords, you can research who's looking for those keywords, what popularity they are, what are your chances of winning in those keywords. Uh, so first off, you can go out to your client and say, here are your keywords. Here's how much traffic you're getting because of these keywords. These are your links. And so you can sit there and go, we can increase this traffic by doing these keywords. We can, we can get more links by doing this. We can get rid of these backlinks. And then within a month or two, you'll start seeing some positive turnaround. So there's uh, tools like that. So SEMrush is great for doing stuff like that as a quick snapshot of here's your online presence. This is the good stuff. This is the bad stuff. Um, and this is how we can make your good stuff better. Awesome. Really valuable. And what would you say to someone who wants to get traffic? You just mentioned a second ago, you know, let's, let's drive some traffic to that. What are some techniques that you use to drive traffic? Um, knowing what your keywords are so if your keyword is copywriting let's go back to us if your keyword is copywriting 
you'll want to have that keyword in your page title. So if you're gonna write a blog about copywriting, make sure it's in the title. You wanna make sure it's in your heading one, you wanna make sure it's that keyword and a few around it are in the first 200 words of your blog. You'll want that, you want to be able to have the meta description to have that keyword as well. So when you Google for copywriting, it'll pop up the Australian School of Copywriting, bang, there's a page title. In the meta description it says, if you want to be a copywriter or be good at copywriting, then you know visit our website or call this number, bang, it's in there again. That would lead to a landing page, a landing page or a blog, but we'll go to a landing page first because you want people's details. So you have the Australian School of Copywriting. Did you ever want to be, to be a copywriter? You can do this, this, this. Here are the features of our school. Here are the benefits of being in our school. Here's a quick form. And, I, and if you have some dot point lists, so here are the features of, of the Australian School of Copywriting. Dot point, dot point, dot point. Here are the benefits. Dot point, dot point, dot point. What can happen when you do a Google search now, often, if, especially if you ask a question, you'll find that there's like four or five answers to your question as the first um, search result. So what Google is doing is going to pages that have these keywords and seeing if they've answered the questions in a list form. And if they have, they just go, we'll just grab this list and stick it on Google. And um, it's called a zero click search result because you're not clicking through to a website to get your answers. So if you set up your landing page to service that kind of intent as well. So you've now got your keyword in your page title. You've now got your keyword in your meta description. You've got your keyword in the first 200 words of your landing page. You've got a dot point list, including those keywords. So it pops up on Google. So you've already got four ways that you can up your uh, SEO ranking just from asking the questions, how do I be a copywriter? Brilliant. Really strong. It's, 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 it, copywriting like this is easy, but also difficult, which I find funny because I've just said, put your word here, 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 and here. And that sounds so simple, but then you have to do it in a way that reads human and isn't like anybody else. Otherwise, if you, if you copy someone else, you get really penalized by Google. So it's tricky and simple at the same time, which is, it's such a very strange concept to get your brain around. Mm. Mm. But even just that, Matt, fantastic sort of kickstart for someone who's just new to the to the area. Uh, I want to circle back to the way you hire your freelancers. Uh, people might be wondering, how do I get hired or what do you look for in a copywriter? Can you talk us through what you look for? Okay, so for the freelancer position, I pretty much went through people I knew um, in, in that because I had to really get off the ground quickly. So I wanted to know, I knew people who wrote. So I said, hey, would you like this? Hey, would you like this? Plus I went through the freelancers that um, the Studio Hawk team had been using before me. Um, and then it's a lot of word of mouth. So um, some people said, hey, my friend's a writer, can they get in? And so that I'd say, yeah, sure, send me an email. And I have two introductory emails. One is a case of this, these are the terms, if you want, I'll give you a practice blog to see if you're any good. So I'll give, I'll send them a brief, like an actual brief we've used with a client before, um, but the blog's already been published. So there's, so there's no pressure to, oh my God, get this right. It's like, look, this is a brief. I'll, I'll come back and then my RMIT teaching comes in and, I, and I'll critique it and go and, and decide, yes, they've got it or they've got enough or no, they haven't um, and go through and give them feedback. So it's a lot, currently it was a lot of word of mouth. The role that we just advertised, we stuck on seat um, and people have come through. And 
we had we had a lot of applicants and one of the first things we did was if like people have said i'm really keen for this role i can do you know, i like to write and stuff if there's no mention of writing in your resume then you're gone like even if you say you're a writer show me that you've written um i'm forgiving if no one gives me their 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 um, portfolio but if you're going to say that you're a writer then be proud enough to say that you're a writer and show me that you've done it um that's why when i was doing the freelancers i'd give them a test blog to see their writing because that's the biggest thing to be to get a job as a writer you need to show someone that you can write um and a lot of the time people say well i'll do this for free to show you that i can do it one of the things i liked about um, studio hawk is harry doesn't believe in free internships and so when i was giving these people this practice blog to do i said do this blog um, and we'll pay you um, we'll pay you some money to do the do the test so even if you don't get the, the job you'll we'll still get you'll still get money for pizza and beer kind of thing so it's a case of we need to know that you can write and then it's a case of we need to know that you can write to a deadline. So if you if you're given a week to do this, make sure you get it back to us in a week. I understand that I'll need to go through and do some editing that happens, but if you can do it to a timeline, then that's what you need to be able to do. So um, your students, and I said this to my RMIT students, what you've written in class counts as writing. So put that on your resume, put that in your LinkedIn, say that it's from, from school, say that it's from, from, I did this in class and it wasn't a real client, but that counts as writing. It shows that you can write. I've got a lot of people who said that they wanna be a writer, but they don't put that on their resume. And I found that very strange for a writing role. So, yeah. Mm. So Matt, when you are looking at the copy, mm. what determines what's good? Like, what are you looking for? First thing I do is read it out loud. Um, you would be surprised that when you read it out loud, there's grammar mistakes. One of the easiest things to do, I've been writing for a very long time and I still read my stuff out loud and I still pick up result uh, mistakes. So I read stuff out loud if it doesn't read well, because when you write stuff yourself and then you go back through it, your brain's already written and processed it. So you're just going through with your eyes and you miss things. If you go over and read it out loud, then the words are going in your ears rather than in your eyes. And so you pick up stuff. If I read something I haven't seen before, my eyes are going to pick up something different than your eyes did. And so if you're writing for a client and you hand them that, then A, they're not going to be happy and B, your reputation kind of drops. So first thing I do is read it out loud. The second thing I do is I match it up against the brief and go, have they put keywords within the first two to 300 words? Um, we write that on the brief. Now, I've, I've put that, I've, I've got my account managers now to do certain things on the brief, which includes, please put keywords in the first 200. If they haven't done that, it means they can't read the brief. Now you sit there and you go, with all the people coming through looking for work, it's harsh. And I, I feel really bad going through and going, they haven't put keywords in, I have to get rid of them because I want to help people get into this industry and do stuff. But there's so many writers out there that I, I, I gotta be hard sometimes. So read your stuff out loud, go through the brief and make sure you've done keywords and make sure it reads like a human um some people like to show off with big words and then they are not often the best thing to do so make sure you're writing to your audience as well so we've got a, we've got a um a client who's a plumber and while we don't get into um vernacular and, and ugly language we do write very very casual 
because he wants people to know, like, he, this is how you change. Um, so was it one of the ones we did was um, fixing a, a block toilet, right? which we don't recommend the average person do because it can get messy, but he likes to put it out there. So when people read it and then they hire him, they, they're seeing what he's doing is exactly what we said he does. But you don't want to be too technical because who, who cares about the technical name, name of the tool that they use kind of thing. So read it, read your stuff out there to find out grammatical errors um, and pick up words which aren't typos but are. So, you know, there, there, and there. So make sure you've got them correct. Make sure you, the first words are the first third of your, of your documents, SEO compliant with keywords, and then look at the language. Make sure it reads like a human. Mm. And other than that, is, then it just becomes part of your craft and how you, how you craft it. Yeah, I love it. It's fantastic stuff. Um, what, what kind of word count? I often get asked this. What kind of word count should people be working to with a blog at the moment? How long is a piece of string? Mm. We have a client in Queensland who is very, very specific. They want no more than 800 words per blog. Um, we offer, so the basic package that we're offering our clients is, uh, is uh, 1,000 words per blog. Um, and then that goes up to 1,500 and 2,000. So it goes up in 500-word um, lots. If you, look at, if you look on Google, the most consumed amount of words is over 2,000 per article. So is that the minimum amount of words that Google wants to search is 600 words. So it's hard to say how many words you should write. Um, minimum 600 words, so Google will take the time to crawl your site. Um, and that's about a three-minute read. So if you're, a, if you're going to put an article on LinkedIn, people like to cr cruise through LinkedIn on the way home from work or at lunchtime because they check up on their professional networks and maybe look for a job. 300 words or 600 words on LinkedIn is fine because that's all the time they've got. If you've got um, a big topic and you want people to sit on your website for a good five minutes, you're looking at 2,000 words. So it's, it's a case of where the people are reading, how long do you want them on their website, how much have you got to say. It's all well and good to um, write 2,000 words, but if you can't write 2,000 words on a widget, then you don't want to try because then you'll just end up filling your blog full of fluff and people will go, this is boring, and they'll click away. So, mm. But we, we standardise at 1,000 words per, per blog per month. Anything around that, then we will negotiate. Okay. Are you recommending minimum uh, a blog a month? What what is yes, yours? Absolutely, yeah. minimum one blog per month. Yeah, um, and that shows Google that you have that you're updating your website, um, and that you are a live website. Yeah, and up, it does two things: updating your content once a month shows Google that you're alive, but also shows yourself. It's <laughs> your life. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, it's it's. Often you, you'll find websites and you go to their blog section and you'll see that it hasn't been updated in like six, 12 months. Um, I was on a client's website today. He just signed up for us and their last blog was October, 2019. Um, and you go, it shows that they're not there. But if you start, so if you manage to write for yourself, then you have to think about yourself. You have to think about your business and it actually gets you thinking about what can I do now? What can I do next? What I want to talk about? And it can kind of get you excited about your job again, about your, about your business. Mm, yes. And then if you, then you hire us to do it for you. So we don't write until um, the brief has been approved. And so you've got a chance to see the brief and go, oh, how about if you do this? And so you get to work with us. We don't dictate to you. You can come back and dictate to us and say, oh, I'd like to do this. 
under advisement, under research and so but it gets you excited about your own business again. Mm, that's a great point. Mm. And I saw in your profile that um, you were talking about the 12-month blogging strategy. Um, yes. Talk us through, if someone's interested in doing that, you know, creating their blogging strategy, what, what sort of things should they be thinking about and doing? Um, so you, you set yourself up for 12 months and you look about where do you want to be in 12 months' time? Is there a story you can tell over 12 months time? Um, I had a landscape designer client and we went seasonal with her, uh, which is really good. At the start of each season, we'd say, what would you do per season? So we could plot out four things then. Were there any festivals that um, she could be involved in? Are there any events that your business is involved in? Um, so, so you can, and if you plan out for 12 months, if you suddenly get a spark of creativity on the weekend, you can write out five blogs in a weekend, then you're five months ahead of where you are rather than going, oh, you know, it's the night before it's due. I need to do it now kind of thing. You know, I got through university doing the night before kind of essays. And while I, I managed it, it's not the most fun to do. So planning always works. So the 12 month plan can help you stress less by going, oh, I know I need to do something for next month or next month. It can help you plan out um, a story. If you know there's going to be a product launch in three months, you can talk about the product now. So when it launches, people are already warmed up to the idea. Um, <clears throat> so it, it kind of is industry specific, but it does help you get ahead. If you know what you're writing in the next four months and you've got a day off, get four months ahead so you're not stressing about it. So, mm. yeah. Cool. And what do you tell your clients in terms of driving traffic to that blog? Um, talk about it. Go onto social media and tell everybody I've written a new blog. Um, get some images. Like always take your own photos or your own images if you can. Um, yeah, you can pay for images if you want, but you'll find that people, other people will pay for the same image. So you make yourself an Instagram post, um, a blog on your own like a post in your own Facebook, your own social media, um, hop on LinkedIn and share the, the post on LinkedIn. Um, if you can find people in your industry or people who are related to your industry um, and say, hey, look, I've got this content. Would you like to link it from your website? Um, that gives you backlinks as well, which is fantastic. Uh, but you pretty much, uh, you have to get out there and market yourself unless you have, unless you're paying for a marketing company. Mm. So, yeah, it's a lot of uh, a lot of legwork. I use LinkedIn quite a bit to, when I was doing my own stuff, um, and that works. I share Studio Help stuff on LinkedIn, um, and that seems to work for, for me and for us. And that would, in terms of putting something on LinkedIn, um, the question that often gets asked is how salesy should you be? Not um, very. Yeah. So... You don't want to sell on social media. The whole point of social media is to get people off social media to your website. So you can sell on your website. You want to tease people on social media. You want to entice them. So you wouldn't put the whole article on LinkedIn. You'd put maybe a, a, a paragraph, kind of like the blurb on the back of a novel. Like you're not going to give away the secret source. You're going to say that there's going to be secret source if you click through. Don't make it too clickbaity either. You don't want to sit there and go, oh, my God, you won't believe what someone found when they click this button because people won't click the button. Um, so, yeah, give give a little bit of value in LinkedIn going, I've discovered this. I can help you find the same and 
click through to find out more. People are used to clicking through now. People are people understand that they're going to click through and go to your website. And you know, and ten seconds after they land on your website, there's going to be a pop up that says subscribe to my newsletter. That sounds very cynical, but it happens. So sell on your website, tease on social media. Awesome. Now, Matt, I could talk to you for hours. Um, yes. I would just love to know about your novels because I know that has <laughs> been a big part of your life. So what are you working on at the moment? Or, or what's a big success? What are you most proud of, I should say? What's a better question? What are you most proud of in terms of the novels that you've written? Oh, the novel. So um, I take part in this annual event called the National Novel Writing Month. <clears throat> and so it is a challenge to write 50,000 words in the 30 days of November, which rounds out to about 1,667 words per day. Now, I first did this back in 2002, and I've been doing it every year since, and I've hit the 50,000 word mark every year since. And so that's oh, that 2021. So that's like 18 novels that I've written. Um, not all of them are publishable. Um, I like the stories that I've written, but they're not all of them up to publishable standard. Um, I've self-published two of them, um, and I recently finished the third one in that trilogy this year. Um, so if you go to uh, Amazon and you look up Matthew Farmer and you look up um, The Girl from Out of Town or South of the Border, you'll find that I've self-published two books and you can buy them. You can buy them as an ebook, or you can print on demand if you want. Um, the fact that I can, I've done it for 18 years in a row, I've hit the 50,000 words row. Um, a, I'm proud of it because it shows that I can do it. But then you sit there and you look at the rest of the year and go, well, why can't you do it during the rest of the year? <laughs> so there's that aspect. Um, and there's this other aspect I'm, I'm proud of um, is a writing group, which I built. So last year, and a lot of them, a lot of the people in the group are NaNoWriMo friends. So it was a case of last year during lockdown, there was this um, movement to start online Zoom courses and stuff, like you know, online Zoom meetings with your friends. You know, we're all locked up, locked up. We're all in lockdown together. We're all kind of isolated. So you should connect with your friends. And I know that a lot of writers feel isolated and alone anyway. So I thought, okay, I'm going to start a writing group. I've had this model for a group before where if you don't know what you want to write, I'll help you. You know, people often say, oh, I want to write, but I don't want to write. I'm like, that's fine. I'll give you some prompts. But you don't know what you're going to write until you turn up. And so um, I connected with some of my writing friends. I've connected with uh, two people who um, said, yeah, I've always wanted to, but I don't know what to want to do. Like key audience, key ta target, um, target audience. And so what we do is we meet every Wednesday night. Um, and because it was in the lockdown, um, we named, so the group's called Written Off, which is a play on drinking, of course, because we're in lockdown, what else is there to do? Um, and so we meet on a Wednesday night and you don't know what you're going to write. I come up with, we, we do two prompts every night, uh, every week. So if you, if you weren't happy with the first one, don't worry, 10 minutes time, you get a another one. And so what it's showing is you don't always have to like what you've written, but it helps with what you write. So it's like, oh, I didn't like that. That's okay. I'll do this instead. So if you haven't liked the week, don't worry. Next week, you'll be better. I, I think that's, 
I think that's really important in terms of copywriting as well, because yeah. that disassociation from the writing that you've done and say, I'm yes. not that, you know, exactly. it's not very good. I will do it better again, another day, another time, you know? So yeah, I think you there's can. lots of parallels between um, copywriting oh, and novel writing. Well, I, I say that I'm a writer, so I'm a creative writer and a copywriter. The lines blur a lot between the two of them. So mm, but I, and another piece which I like about my group is I implemented this rule. You are not allowed to apologize and you are not allowed to say that you don't like what you've written. Oh, perfect. Right? Yeah. You can think it, but you're not allowed to say it out loud. Mm. Right? So at the start, I said, oh, sorry, this isn't very good. And we'd stop you and like, you've break, broken the rule. And the punishment is you have to tell everybody how awesome you are. <laughs> that's right? great. Because that's what people do, isn't it? The first yeah. thing they do is preface it. We well, look, it's not very good. I didn't have yes. much time. Or, yes. you know, there's not one, you yes. know, something I'm proud of. Yes. But, and I'm, and I'm, I'm putting a stop to that because you're the only one thinking that. That's right. And also it sets up bad vibes. You Absolutely. know, everybody's then expecting it. So, yes. Matt, I, honestly, I'm so thrilled with your success. The, the way you've just put one foot in front of the other, you've gone for the goal and the gold and you, yes. you are here and you are a wonderful example of so many things you know like taking stubbornness the, <laughs> stubbornness is one I call that persistence it's an, I yes. guess it's the flip side but also it's the the call center you know you mentioned earlier that you've taken those experiences and brought it into your world you know and yeah. the fact you you send the elevator down which I love so much and helping other people come up the fact mm. you pay people for their internship um, yeah. The fact you've been so generous with the information today. Matt, thank you so much for being my guest. Well, thank you for having me, um, inviting me on here. It's been awesome to, to reconnect. Thanks, Matt. What I love about Matthew's story is that he just kept going. He knew that he wanted to be a copywriter. He knew that nothing was going to stop him and he just kept going. And it was that belief that drove him. And look where he is now, sitting in his perfect job. I find that incredibly inspiring. And we talk about persistence and we kind of throw it away as a off-the-cuff sort of inspirational mantra. But what he demonstrates is what persistence really is, which is just hanging in there and, and going and, and moving forward step by step, bit by bit. Well done, Matt. Now, my inspirational tip of the day is incredibly apt considering what we've just heard, and that is don't let yesterday take up too much of today. And here's a fun fact to leave you with. Did you know that parents spend a quarter of homeschooling time on maths and 85% on the other subjects? Yeah, it's true. Thanks for listening. I'm Bernadette Schwert. And don't forget to check out copyclub.com.au, Australia's newest and most exciting copywriting community. And if you liked this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it from me. All the best and take care.